So as we get started, I want to just kind of open up with a quote that I heard one of my mentors uh, share with me a couple months ago. And this, this is the quote. Uh, he said, all relationships are not created equal. All relationships are not created equal. And uh, when he first said that, I was like, oh, okay, like, I, I guess I get it. Are you saying like, oh, people aren't equal? <laughs> if that's what you're saying, not on board with that. But okay, what, what do you mean by this? All relationships are not created equal. And he began to unpack and began talking about what this means. And so I, I found this to be true in my own life. And I think you would also agree uh, if we were to evaluate some of the relationships that we have. But uh, you know, think about a significant other or a spouse you give more care and attention and time and energy, and you prioritize your spouse over other relationships in your life in a way that you should, right? Because your spouse is a bigger and higher priority than just the acquaintances that you know. You can think about this in parenting. You know, parents with kids, their child is the best child in the world, right? There's special and unique attention and love and care that they give to their children in a way that they don't give towards other children because they're not as good, right? And so parents do this. If you're involved in business in any way, you know, we do this with clients, it's like you've got that client that is just super lucrative and very responsive and just is a great client. And you want to prioritize that client over the ones that just drain you of everything and are overly critical, right? So we prioritize some things in that area. We even do this with our friends. And that's not always a bad thing, right? There are some people you just, you just click with, like you just jive together, you enjoy hanging out, you share common interests and it's fun and easy and great and you can have deep friendships. And then there's just those people you know those people where it's just like, for some reason, we just butt heads every time, we're apart, uh, every time we're together. This is not a friendship I'm going to prioritize, right? So we do this in our lives. And I think this is also true of Jesus. Uh, if we look in the scriptures, we study the gospels, I think we see Jesus prioritizing relationships uh, in his life. And that's, that's kind of uh, hard to believe sometimes. You know, we think, okay, Jesus loves everyone equally, like equal relationship with everyone. That seems like something we think Jesus should embody. Um, and, and Jesus does love everyone equally. That's a true thing. But he definitely prioritized certain relationships in his life. So we see this upward priority, this, this priority in relationship with God the Father. He's like constantly getting away. He just disappears and the disciples are like, where did Jesus go? Okay, he's off praying again. He's snuck off on a boat, spent time communing with God through the Holy Spirit and praying, communing with, with God the Father. There's the upward priority. See this inward priority in the life of Jesus, the people that he did life with day in and day out, his disciple, his, his family, uh, the people that were his followers. He devoted extra time and attention and energy to those people above others. And even within the disciples, you know, you see in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus invites just three, kind of his three closest inner circle to come be with him in his time of need. So we see this inward priority in the life of Jesus. But we also see this outward priority where Jesus has this deep love and interaction and care for uh, the people that he interacted with that were experiencing the suffering in the world, experiencing oppression and pain and hurt and disease, people that did not yet know uh, about God, about the kingdom of God. So see this threefold relationship where he prioritized this upward, inward, and outward relationships in his life. And when we started Ethos uh, eight or nine years ago, uh, we, we started to ask this question, what, what would a community of people look like if they prioritized their relationships in the same way that Jesus did? What would that look like? In the spheres that they walk in, their work relationships, kind of how they go throughout life. What would it look like if they prioritized it this way? What would happen if a community really said, knowing and loving God is the most important thing in our lives? 
is the most important thing in our lives. And, and out of knowing and loving God, we're gonna live among other people in our community that we do life with day in and day out in a way that the world would not understand. We're gonna love and be committed to and support one another in a way that looks crazy sometimes. And, and out of that love for one another, we're gonna embrace this posture of love and sacrificial service towards those experiencing brokenness and oppression and suffering in the world and with those that perhaps don't yet know the love of Jesus. What would happen? if our church embraced this upward and inward and outward relationship that Jesus had. And so every week as a church, you'll see it on this blue banner outside. It's in our language everywhere. We end our gatherings with this phrase, we exist to love God, to love people and awaken the movement that Jesus began. That's our mission as a church. And so for the next three weeks, what we're gonna do is, is unpack this mission that we as a church uh, are putting all of our eggs in. Like we're putting all of our eggs in that basket that we wanna exist to love God, to love people and awaken the movement that Jesus began by prioritizing this love for God, this love for the people that we do life with day in and day out and this love uh, for the people in the world that we experience, uh, that we get to know that are experiencing brokenness and perhaps don't yet know Jesus. So that's what we're going over the next three weeks. What would happen in the city of Nashville if we did this? And so today we're gonna to talk about how this works itself out in your relationship and in our relationship of love with God. Uh, and if you're here today and you don't know if you love God, you're not sure if you believe in this whole thing, you're kind of skeptic, kind of showing up, um, that's, that's totally okay. Um, this is a safe place to ask those questions and this isn't a place that you have to be certain about everything. Uh, what I do hope and I pray is that you would come to know more fully today the deep love that God has first showed you in a way that would cause you to open up your heart and love for him. So we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 22 today. If you wanna go ahead and turn there, you, you can. If you're using one of the blue Bibles uh, that, that we've provided, uh, that's on page 483. Feel free to stand up and grab one if you uh, would like to have one. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that one. That's, that's our gift to you today. But Matthew chapter 22, we're gonna start in verse 34 and uh, read down to verse 40. It's a popular, well-known uh, passage in the, in the Bible. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, and follow along. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So I love this moment in the preaching ministry of Jesus. He's going around healing the sick, feeding the hungry, uh, preaching these amazing eye-opening sermons to people, uh, and just inviting the kingdom of God on earth. And the Pharisees get word of, of what it says that Jesus had silenced this group of people called the Sadducees. Um, now, Sadducees were just this group of religious leaders uh, in, in the Jewish faith back in the, the time of Jesus. And, and it says that Jesus silenced them. And it was just one of those classic moments where a group of people were trying to catch Jesus off guard. They ask him a hard question. And Jesus just says a couple of phrases and just blows everyone's mind, right? And they all leave astonished, like, what does this mean? And, and I was like, I wish I could have that effect on people sometimes. It's just like say a few phrases and like, <laughs> rarely happens when I preach, I think. But um, Jesus does this constantly, right? He just blows people's minds with just a few uh, just impactful words 
uh, teaching in a way that no one else taught. And the Pharisees, this other group of religious leaders, the teachers of the law of the Jewish faith, uh, approach Jesus and they get, they get wind of this thing that Jesus has just done with the Sadducees. And it says they get a lawyer to come and test Jesus. And um, this is just like classic stereotypical lawyer, right? Uh, we, had some, we have some lawyers that go to Ethos. So I'm not hating on all lawyers, just the stereotype of them. But we, you, know, you get these, these people that know the nuance of the law so deeply that they can manipulate people with their questions so they can put them in a, in a hard place and in a, in a bad corner. And then they win the case because they knew how to manipulate the law. And this is kind of what's happening. And this lawyer comes up to Jesus and tries to pin him down with the question, what is the greatest commandment in all the law? Tries to pin him down. And what's really happening here is he's talking about the law of Moses by which all people were to live. And he's both testing Jesus's knowledge as a rabbi of the Torah, but he's also trying to get Jesus in a bad answer so that he can discredit the ministry of Jesus so that the Pharisees can maintain their religious significance and power in that time. And Jesus, classic Jesus, just zeroes in and gives them just like a, a, a quick few words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Some translations say all your strength. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We'll get to that second part that Jesus talks about over the next two weeks, but I wanna focus on what Jesus responds with in this first part of his response. Jesus is saying that there's a level of love and intimacy with the God of the universe that we might not yet be experiencing. And that it's the purpose and the heartbeat of the creator of God that his creation in humanity would experience a loving, intimate relationship with him. Before we dig into what that means more specifically, isn't it true that it's different to know about someone than it is to actually know someone? It's different to know about someone than just to actually know and love them. So you think about in our celebrity culture, right? You know a lot about celebrities, right? So your favorite person you follow on Instagram or Twitter, you know the names of their kids. You know, you know what their kids look like. It's like a lot of, we just know these things. We know their pets. We know their favorite foods. We know what they ate last Friday because they posted it on Instagram. But isn't there a big difference between knowing these people and actually knowing about them? You, know, you can know about Beyonce, but not know her. You can know about your boss, some facts about your manager at work, but not actually know her, right? You can know about that crush that you've been crushing on for a while, but all you know is what you found out on Facebook, right? It's a little creepy. That's what we do. We just kind of know facts and information about people, but we can do this with God, but never actually know him and love him. There's a depth of joy, I think, that comes when we actually get to know someone over just knowing about them. So I saw this play out with my, uh, kind of how me and my wife, Virginia, progressed through our relationship. Uh, I remember when I met her at kind of an ethos training event and we were, we were at this place where the training was happening and she was kind of helped setting up and I was like, hello, I need to get to know you because you are very pretty. And that was the first piece of information that I knew uh, about her. So there's a fact right there. And, uh, and uh, I started asking other people, I was like, tell me about this girl. Like, you wanna give me some information? What's she like, what's she do, what does she study? And I started kind of talking to people and I, I actually knew a pretty good amount of information about her before I actually ever knew her. But the joy of that relationship never came until I actually got to go on a date with her and to get to know her and to get to love her. And the joy only deepens when we get to know the actual person and not just the facts or the stories about that person. 
For much of my life, unintentionally, I, I have subscribed to a version of Christianity and following Jesus that said my goal was to know things about God, to figure things out about God, rather than actually knowing the person of God. Just like the Sadducees and the Pharisees in the story we read, they're trying to figure everything out, get the right answers, but not interested in a relationship. Now, I'm not saying that knowing things about God is unimportant. I'm getting my master's in theology. I think this is super important, but it's the context that we learn things about people that is important, right? So just like in our relationships, you're supposed to learn things about people in relationship as you get to know them. When you just uh, learn all the information and the facts and the stories and you don't know a person, it's called stalking, right? That's creepy. But when we get to know people in relationship, we can go out to coffee, we can hang out and get to know these stories about people, the relationship is so much more full and joyful. And Jesus is inviting us here. He says you can move beyond just facts and knowledge and stories and actually get to know God as um, in, in a relationship. And so I, th- I think my spiritual journey over the past few years, especially as I'm in this, uh, this master's program, just studying and studying and studying, is to keep laying down my pursuit of only knowing about God, to actually like, push through that to get to the person of God with everything that I am. And that's what I want our church to be passionate about. That's why it's the first part of our mission statement as a church, that we would just not show up here Sunday after Sunday and listen to someone talk about God, that we would open up the Bible about God or sing words about God, but that we would actually know and experience and encounter the presence of a living relational God. Now, I know this is like, hopefully inspiring. It's hopefully like, yes, like I want that. I want to push beyond just knowing about God. I want to know him. And whenever someone like this gets up and preach, preaches like this, I'm always like, yes, I'm in, amen, let's do it. Okay, how do, how do I know God? I, I can't see him. Uh, I, I don't usually hear him in the way that I would like to. What, what does this even look like? Sometimes I feel like getting to know God is, it feels like getting to know gravity. It's like, I can't really see it. I feel like I experience the effects on me sometimes, but it's just kind of this force that I don't really know how to interact with relationally. Maybe that's been true for you. So I just want to make it really clear. If you've ever struggled to relate to and to get to know this all creator God in an intimate, loving relationship, that's okay. And it's normal. Uh, You're not weird, you're not like crazy because you have a hard time with this. Following Jesus in this way is difficult. And this journey of of following Jesus is not one of facts and certainty and having all the answers. It's one of trust and of faith. And my hope that as we stay on the journey, as we keep showing up, as we keep pressing into going beyond the facts and beyond the stories to get to know, to actually get to know God, is that we can push past that uncertainty and past the doubt and past the discouragement that we might feel and that God would show himself to be loving and faithful and near. I wanna read one passage of scripture over you where Jesus really models this for us and kind of invites us into what his heart is for all of us. It's from John 17, it's verse 26. I'll just read it for you, you don't have to turn there. This is Jesus, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane before he he goes to be crucified. And this is what he's praying with God the Father. He says, oh Father, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you. 
And I made known to them your name and I'll continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and that I may be in them. Love what he says there at the end, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. He's talking about us. And that I actually may be in them. So the mission of Jesus on earth was not just this mission of redemption, even though that is integral in part uh, and centric of the mission of Jesus. If that's where we stop, we just punch our whole card of being forgiven by Jesus, but we never get to know God. What Jesus is inviting us to here, he said, I, I came, my mission is that so that your love may be in them and that I may be in them, the person of God might be in them in this deeply relational way. We don't wanna be people that just punch our card of belief in God every Sunday when we show up to church and forfeit the very purpose that Jesus had in mind. We want to know God. So I wanna talk for uh, the last few minutes that we have about what it means to love God in this way. What it means to love God with what Jesus invites us to here. And I want you to keep in mind, this isn't a formula. Like God isn't just a big gumball machine where we put our prayer recorder in and turn the slot and get our gumball. It's like, it's mysterious. This is not formulaic. This is more of a framework. And, and this is not gonna be a, a transactional relationship where we pray something, God gives us something. We desire something, God gives us what we want. That's, that's not how this works. It's not how it works in relationship. This is a deeply relational, messy, mess, uh, messy and um, journey of mystery. So back to Matthew 22, uh, Jesus says, if we wanna get to the heartbeat of his ministry, of God's heart for humanity, it's to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the big idea here is that we are to love God with every aspect of our lives, that every fiber of our being should act out of love and relationship for God. So I don't think Jesus is talking about manufacturing emotional feelings for love of God. It's not just feelings of affection that Jesus is primarily advocating for here. Uh, this way of love is an active love, a response that Jesus models through his obedience and his commitment to being in connection with God. And Jesus highlights a few different pieces of the human experience here, you know, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and I don't think the goal is necessarily to divide up the human experience and say, okay, here's three ways you love God with your heart. Here's three ways you love God with your soul. Here, and, and just sort of compartmentalize the human experience. That, that's not how the Hebrew culture or, or really the Jewish culture would have experienced or heard the language of Jesus here. What Jesus is doing is sort of listing out these different experiences to give a holistic view about our entire lives with your thoughts, your actions, your beliefs, your words, your body, your physical body, your passion, your hunger, your perceptions, how you function at work, how you react to challenges. Our whole being is to be on display of our love for God and the relationship that we have with him. And what this results in for us is a life that is so consumed for love for God that it is wholehearted, life-encompassing, community-impacting, and dedicated solely to living in love for God and with God. All relationships are not created equal. And the truth is, if our relationship with God is not the foundation of our lives, every other part of our life will suffer. Every part of our life will suffer. If your relationship with God is primarily based on facts and stories, it's gonna be a tough journey. We wanna push past that and have a relationship with God 
with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. That's what we're after here. So I wanna want end this morning by giving you just a, a few tangible handles about what this might look like in your life. Uh, because it can be so difficult to feel like, okay, how, still, <laughs> you've said a lot, how do I do this? How, how do I begin to put some of this into practice? How do I grow in my love with this person of God? So it's one thing to take this in mentally, but I, I really want to push us to some tangible steps. If you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, and this is like, this is all weird, I don't really know if I wanna do this, I just wanna invite you. Uh, what could be the worst that could happen if you, if you apply just a couple steps? Just try it, see what happens. So I'm gonna give you four or five things that, that I've used in my life to open up myself to deeper love for God. So feel free to write these down if you want. You can take out your phone. I'm just gonna go through these pretty quick. First one, make the space. Make the space. So this is just like any relationship in your life, right? If I got married and then I was like, okay, Virginia, uh, let's, let's hang out for like an hour on Sunday. Is that good with you? And then just kind of go our separate ways, do, thing, do things separately for the rest of the week. That's not gonna really create a loving and intimate relationship with her. Uh, I feel like we sometimes, I sometimes have the same mentality with God. And it takes uh, some intentional um, effort to make the space for time with God, just like you would in any relationship in your life. For me, sometimes I've tried in different seasons to maybe take the, the 10 or 15 minutes before every meal and just sit down and pray or read a devotional or spend just a few minutes um, saying some things I'm thankful for to God. And just have, have some touch points throughout my day where I make the space for God to speak and to show me his love in my life. That's the first one, make the space. The second one, tune in. Tune in. So sometimes it's hard to discern the voice of God. I have a piano in my house. I've played piano my whole life. It's something I love doing. And, and uh, every six months or so, I get my piano tuned. And kind of the old school way, they don't really do this anymore, but the old school way of tuning things was to get a, a tuning fork, right? Uh, and it gives you a true note that you tune everything else off of. That's how orchestras do this as well. But you kind of have a central note that, that tunes everything else. And if you miss that first note, everything else is out of tune and out of, out of whack. And I think that the scriptures can really act like this tuning fork for us. God speaks through more ways than just the Bible. I don't know how you grew up. Maybe you grew up where the Trinity was like God the Father, the Son, and then the Holy Scriptures, right? Where the Bible was like a member of the triune God. But God still speaks in our lives and is still active and moving. Uh, sometimes it's hard to discern that voice so I think what it looks like is, is for us to, to use the scriptures as a tuning mechanism where, where we pursue God in his voice in the scriptures and we process where we hear the voice of God in our lives in community. And, and so we hear something from God. Okay, God, I think you're speaking this into my life. I was feeling this uh, in this sermon or in this conversation with a friend. I'm gonna process with someone. I'm gonna weigh it against and pursue that idea in your scripture and see if this is what you're speaking to me. So we tune in through the word of God. Make the space, tune in. Number three, take note. Take note. Now, I am a terrible, terrible journaler, like self-proclaimed terrible journaler, and I've tried so many times. If you've ever done this well, please come talk to me because I'd love to see how you do it. But um, it's tough to take note of what's going on in our hearts and in our lives. But I think self-reflection is, is one of the key um, ways that we can um, learn to hear what God is doing in our lives. So what I've tried to do is, 
uh, get my notes app on my phone. And anytime I sort of feel like God's speaking in some way through a conversation with a friend, through a sermon that I hear, uh, through a quote that resonated with me, I, I jot it down in my phone. Then every couple weeks, I'll take a moment and just kind of write them all out again and just see, okay, God, are you speaking anything specifically to me in this season? And then I share it with someone that I'm close to in community, begin to process, okay, God, what are you speaking? And that only happens if I take note of what I'm hearing, if I try and pay attention to what God is saying. So that's the third one, take note. Number four, obey quickly. Obey quickly. Jesus says, blessed is the one who doesn't just hear my words, but puts them into practice. That's not just a cute proverb, right? That's like a way of pursuing intimacy with God, that we would obey what Jesus is inviting us into. One of the, my favorite quotes about obeying quickly is this, delayed obedience is like earwax in the spiritual ears of our lives. It's kind of a gross analogy, but um, it's, it's this idea that as we delay our obedience, when we hear God and we delay, it builds up like earwax in our spiritual ears to where we can hear less and less clearly over time. And that quick obedience is the way of God that invites us into the, the personal relationship where we hear God and we obey quickly. You see this in the life of Jesus all the time where he's like headed down the road to somewhere and someone's like, Jesus, have mercy. And he's like, boom, I'm gonna change my course. I'm listening and I'm obeying quickly. I'll respond in real time to the voice of God, to the prompting of the spirit. This is the last one, embrace the mystery. Embrace the mystery. So I can almost promise you, if you do some of these things, it's probably not gonna work out the way that you might expect. Uh, all of us would love for this to work like a formula but again, that's a transactional God, not a relational God. So this is gonna unfold differently in all of our lives and in different seasons. God won't act or speak in the way that we might always want, but it's important that we continue obeying and responding and doing some of these things. And I believe that as we do that over time, God will speak and God will act, God will show up in your life. Can you imagine what would happen if this community refused to let every last thing, every busy, every task, everything, just fill up our schedules? If we refused to do that, but we prioritized our relationships and the energy and the limited time that we have in the same way that Jesus did, what would happen in this community? I believe that God would do amazing things, not only in our personal journeys with him, but as we as a community begin to love God more deeply, we would see the Holy Spirit's presence poured out in a, in a unique way in our, in our space each week. Let's pray. God, I just know the temptation, even up here while I'm preaching, uh, that this would just be an informational transaction between me and some of the people listening. And so I pray just for all of us right now, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, do not let us show up here and just pursue information. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us in such a way that you uh, invite us up out of our seats and into a relationship with you? Jesus, we wanna walk with you and we believe that uh, you are with us in the Holy Spirit, in us and in this community. So speak to us as we worship and as we continue uh, for the rest of our time here this morning. We ask this in your name, Jesus, amen.